The personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, my name is Debbie Reynolds. This is the Data Diva Talks Privacy Podcast, where we talk with leaders around the world about issues and data privacy that businesses need to know right now. My special guest today is David Goodis, who's the Assistant Commissioner of Information and Privacy of Ontario, Canada. David and I had the pleasure of meeting many years ago on a panel that we both spoke on for COGL, which is the Council on Governmental Ethics and Laws. Uh, It was a fascinating panel, and actually on that panel we were talking about the prospect of having a federal data privacy law or legislation in the U.S. So this is definitely an evergreen topic because we're still talking about this, and I'm very happy to welcome David Goodis to the show. I'd love for you to tell a little bit about you and your background and your your interests and sort of how you got into this position in privacy. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Debbie. Great, uh, great to chat with you. My background, I'm a lawyer. So that's kind of my starting point is, is uh, you know, statutes and, um, you know, court, uh, court decisions when it comes to privacy and access. So our, our office deals both with protection of privacy and access to information, uh, freedom of information. So we kind of have that dual role. And I've been at the office for, believe it or not, over 30 years. And I kind of really just stumbled on it. I was, in, I was a lawyer in private practice doing um, personal injury litigation. And uh, I just happened to see this ad and I, for, for a brand new office that was opening up that was going to be yeah, regulating privacy and access to information. And I thought it sounded really interesting and really cool. And they were looking for a lawyer and I thought, wow, what a great opportunity to kind of get in on the ground floor in a really a brand new area. You know, in the 80s, we were just starting to think about privacy as technology was starting to grow. And I thought it really had a, a bright and interesting future. And uh, I was right on because our office has grown, our jurisdiction has grown. And of course, we're seeing privacy part of the legal landscape and part of uh, just the general culture cultural conversation now. So it's, it's just um, really been fantastic kind of being somewhat, you know, at the center of, um, of privacy protection and privacy laws. Yeah. So you've had definitely a front row seat over the last 30 years to see how all these things are developing. Um, also, just being the closest neighbor to the U.S. and being so different uh, in terms of the way that we approach privacy. I'm sure you have plenty of stories to tell uh, about that. I had the pleasure of chatting with a lot of people in Canada a lot about privacy, and my listeners need to forgive me because I don't do enough stuff about privacy in Canada, even though I think it's fascinating. But what types of things that you think people need to know and understand about privacy in Canada now, like what's happening right now? Uh, What's happening right now? Well, I'll start off by saying um, Canada's kind of interesting. We're in an interesting position because um, obviously we're we're much smaller than the U.S., much much smaller than the EU. But it's funny, we sort of think of ourselves as somewhere in the middle. We're a little bit like Europe in some ways, and we're a little bit like the U.S. in some ways, both culturally and, and legally. So when it comes to privacy protection, it's really the same thing in terms of we're, we are a little bit like the U.S., we're a little bit like Europe. So just as kind of a, a background, 
the way Canada has approached privacy protection is really from the point of view of saying, you know, let's, let's regulate privacy and the handling of personal information on a sector basis. And when I say sector, I mean the entire business sector, the entire health sector. We have a law uh, that, that handles um, child and family services, child protection. So we kind of take a sector by sector approach, but, you know, and impose uh, kind of blanket rules on that sector. So that's maybe a little bit more like Europe than it is the U.S., so that's, that's kind of our background. And, and in the 80s, uh, privacy legislation developed, or I should say the other sector, big sector that we cover in Canada is government. So all of government, federal, provincial, even local municipalities. So we do these kind of very broad blanket privacy uh, legislation. And um, turning to kind of what's happening now. So about 20 years ago, around the year 2000, um, Canada... Um, in, in response to sort of international trade pressures needed to enact private sector privacy le legislation to ensure the flow of personal data across borders to, to enhance trade. So we had to step up and, and bring in private sector privacy legislation much like they had done uh, throughout Europe at the time. So we enacted this uh, statute called PIPEDA, Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act. And for the time, it was a, it was a very good piece of legislation, very principle-based. Uh, but over the past couple of decades, it's really fallen behind, mainly in the area of handling our connected world and uh, the, the technology that we're, that's come into all of our lives and that businesses and individuals are using. So... We've fallen behind. Uh, Europe, of course, brought in the GDPR a couple of years ago. And um, in light of that, Canada has realized that we need to raise the bar for privacy protection in the private sector. And at the moment, there's actually a very major, comprehensive, sweeping bill that's going to do away with our old legislation and bring in an entirely new framework. Again, privacy rules for the private sector all across Canada. So there is this new act or sorry, proposed act called the Consumer Privacy Protection Act. And I can talk to you a little bit about uh, kind of the important elements of that legislation if you want, or we can. Oh yeah. I would love to hear that. We're jealous. I'm, I am jealous uh, that you guys are doing this because we very much want to see more comprehensive privacy legislation instead of having yeah, so many different states have their own thing. I don't know. I think I always knew that the states were very different, but I think because of COVID, it's like every state feels like a different country. <laughs> so being able to, you know, everyone is really putting pressure, you know, there's consumer pressure, there's business pressure for different reasons, obviously, about doing comprehensive uh, data privacy legislation. So we're just watching you guys are finding out what you're trying to do. So I would love to hear the features of this proposed law is happening. Uh, sure, yeah. And uh, I will say too that um, in, in creating this law, the Canadian government was look, certainly looking to Europe and the GDPR, but they were also looking elsewhere. And one of the, one of the uh, laws that they, I know that they looked at carefully was the California Consumer Privacy Act, um, the CCPA, because that's a, uh, quite a, a recent modern 
approach to privacy protection and has um, a lot of good uh, good parts to it. Uh, I think that um, that Canada uh, took took note of in this new legislation. So, just in terms of you know what are the differences, what you know what are the modernization steps that they that they are going to be taking? Uh, one of them is I think the the privacy issue of our time, the biggest the biggest issue that we're all facing when it comes to privacy, and that is artificial intelligence and automated decision making. They knew they had to grapple with that in some manner. And they've, they've taken, I think, a, a pretty good step in uh, ensuring greater transparency for individuals in automated decision making. You know, how, how do these decisions get made? What, how do the algorithms work? Uh, so and it may not be perfect, but it's, it's certainly a big step forward in terms of allowing individuals a little more insight into how these decisions are getting made. And we know this is the future, right? Decisions are going yeah. to be made about you, me, and all of us on an automated basis because um, there's incredible efficiencies to be gained by that. But at what cost, of course, and uh, we worry about uh, discrimination in these decisions uh, getting made. Uh, we've heard lots of horror stories about that. And we worry, of course, about not like having little or no understanding about how these important decisions that can impact our lives are getting made. So that I think that's fantastic and maybe perhaps the most important modernization piece uh, of this bill. Another element is data portability. So the idea uh, from the GDPR uh, that individuals should be able to say, okay, if I'm, if I'm a customer of bank A and I want to move my business over to bank B, then uh, I should be able to ask my bank, oh, can I have my data? Can you give me my data on a memory stick or in a, um, a downloadable file or something of that nature that I can then bring over to the competitor bank. Uh, because right now consumers, I would say, often feel very locked in because their data uh, is being held by, by one organization. And it's very difficult to, to move and, and um, uh, bring that uh, data over. So, and that can be very difficult. So that's another important step, step in terms of individuals' ability to control what happens to their personal information, including being being able to move their, their information to another provider. The right to be forgotten, lot, there's been a lot of talk about this over the years, sort of starting in Europe, um, the idea that you can or should be able to at least request that your data be removed from, say, uh, um, from a website or something of that nature, or perhaps even more importantly, having web search engines, engines like Google delist or you know remove the the data so that it's not searchable data that could be inaccurate or harmful in some way or out of date in some way so yeah canada's proposing to bring in a um what they're calling a right to delete a right to deletion which of course is not absolute it's going to have its limitations but but there is a an established right there there's also this quite interesting piece that i wonder if you've been doing some thinking about this idea of um the socially beneficial purpose of data use. So the bill has this, this um, I guess you would call it a permission to, for organizations to be able to use and share de-identified information, de-identified data for a socially beneficial purpose. So quite interesting to kind of open that, open up that idea. And I guess the idea being, look, if, if the information is de-identified, and sharing it will have, uh, again have some socially beneficial purpose. Will will help society in some 
um, significant manner, then then that kind of sharing should be allowed to take place, which under current legislation uh, may not be uh, permissible. But really interesting, and I think we, we could talk a lot about that, just that one piece. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. Well, especially, I guess part of that that is sort of determining the norms of the society and determining what is socially, you know, what fits in that category in terms of what's socially acceptable to be shared or how beneficial that is. I love um, that you all are looking at artificial intelligence and automated decision-making because that is, uh, that's something that is, it needs to be talked about a lot. There needs to be a lot more visibility for individuals to see what these things are. I feel like um, even like you think back to like the way credit agencies work and how they sort of score people, you know, that process is even not as transparent as it should be. So I think having more transparency in terms of how this data is being used and what decisions are made about people, especially, you know, you know, I'm obviously concerned very much about bias in, in that um, for obvious reasons, I guess, uh, because I want to make sure that the information is correct and we're not making the, the wrong assumptions or trying to, you know, uh, I guess the, the thing, the term or the way I would describe it in a data sense would be proving a point on maybe a, a fraction of a data set and then trying to push a process or procedure and try to make it fit on other data more broadly where it really doesn't fit. So, uh, you know, people do that a lot. Like, oh, let's test this thing. It works for this little group of people, but it doesn't work uh, for other people. So I think that's really interesting. One thing that you had talked about, and this is something that I've talked to businesses about quite a lot, and it's about transparency. So there are, you know, as you can see in the U.S. and even in Europe, there are a lot of these new antitrust cases that are coming out. And, you know, they're hitting on a lot of different topics, but transparency comes up quite a lot uh, in terms of being able to have people understand what they're agreeing to, understand the privacy policies, you know, like you said, AI and automated decision making. I feel like businesses need to understand that transparency is like, you know, the new black. Okay, so there is if you're not trying to be transparent with data that you collect from people, you are swimming upstream as far as I'm concerned. So that is the way of the future. So if you're trying, if you're collecting data from individuals, you can't be transparent with them, you're going to have a huge problem uh, in your business in the future. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think, I think you're right. Your businesses are going to have a trust problem. Consumers are getting more wary, more savvy. And I agree with you that they want to see organizations that are open and transparent and honest, just honest with them. This is what we're going to do with your data. This is why we're collecting it. This is why we need it. I think their concerns for organizations around reputation, around competitiveness. If your competitor is more open than you are, I think people are going to vote with their, you know, vote with their feet or vote with their wallet. So it is something to be very wary of. I think, again, I think people, funny, on the one hand, I think people often feel very powerless. On the other hand, in, in some ways, people are getting um, more savvy. And they're starting to think about these things a little more. And, and 
again, organizations should should really pay attention to this and uh, do what they can to be more forthright and open with their consumers, with their customers or potential customers, all of that. I think it is uh, critically important. Especially with things like the onward transfer of data. So I, let's say I, I patronize a bank, I have an account there, I share my data with them, and then you don't want them to share your data with someone else that you don't know about and you don't know what's going to happen with that data. So I think the idea that you have to get consent of a consumer to do that or at least be transparent about what you plan to do with that data, I think that's going to change uh, a lot of the way people think about stuff because it's like I gave it to you for one purpose and you're using it for a different purpose. I think it... Unfortunately, it should be a no-brainer, but obviously it's not, uh, that you should let the person know what exactly it is that you're doing, and then they should be agreeing with what that purpose is. That's right. And, and there's a big difference between you know, what I consider a benign purpose. So my bank, uh, let's face it, in our modern world, banks and other even large organizations, they outsource certain things, right? So, so they bring in a provider to, let's say, store the information uh, in the cloud, something that, something like that. That's probably fine. Um, is, but I agree with you that they should be open. They should tell me, well, by the way, you know, we retain the services of company X and they store our data on our behalf uh, in this manner. And that to me, well, first of all, it'll give you, a, it'll give you some degree of choice. So if you understand that's what's happening, maybe you don't like that. Maybe you don't want to, to be a customer of theirs because you don't like that. But that's, to me, that's more benign as far as, um, you know, in that case, the bank saying, well, we retain this third party to, to help us do our essential um, business. That's a service that we need. And that's different from saying, oh, we disclose your data to a third party and we sell it to them so they can do marketing. I mean, that, you know, that's completely different. Right. <laughs> and that, that's not a purpose that you would say, oh, well, the bank, you know, they have to do that. Well, that's, that's not really their service provider. That's something very, very, very different and something that many people would find highly objectionable. Right. But again, the, the key is to be transparent. Maybe, maybe I look at that and I say, well, if they de-identify my information, maybe I don't care. But I don't really want them giving my identifiable information to some third-party marketer. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. It kind of all loops back to transparency. It does loop back to transparency. So I always am curious about, well, let me back up. So we did a, the panel that we did for Kogel was related to the U.S. having a federal data privacy law, which has not happened. So I think that we could have literally replayed that session right now and it would have still been very evergreen in terms of the conversations that we're having. But I'm always curious um, because you're our closest neighbor in Canada. So what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? What are, you know, how does, how does what's happening in the U.S. impact you, if at all, related to privacy regulations? No, we find it really interesting. I think in some ways the U.S. Has, has been very good at well, in one sense, I would say when it comes to privacy breach notification legislation, you guys were out ahead of us. I mean, we've finally caught up, but you were ahead of us. I know that all 50 states have the privacy breach notification uh, law, which is fantastic that you've got that full coverage. 
you've been ahead of us in other senses too, as far as um, the children's online legislation. Uh, that's excellent. Something we were failing at, even this new bill. Nothing about the, the particular vulnerabilities of children, uh, which is a real disappointment. Who knows, maybe that'll change, but right now, not so good. And you've got the California statute that we talked about before, and um, that's a very, I think, very progressive piece of legislation. It's interesting for us. I, I think for Canadians, or for me as, a, as somebody interested in privacy, I think it'd be, I think it'd be a good thing if the U.S. moved towards kind of a, a, a federal approach to privacy protection. Um, I think that could be helpful. I think Canadians feel that we can benefit from strong privacy legislation, even in other countries, because um, it can it can put reasonable restraints, reasonable limits on what some of these, especially these big tech organizations, some of their practices, we can indirectly, I think, benefit from strong privacy legislation for US-based organizations. So it's something we'd like to see. I know there, there's a pretty big debate about what is the right approach. Uh, if you're going to do um, federal privacy legislation, there's different models. I know that. What we're comfortable with is this idea of kind of a federal regulator. We have a privacy commissioner. Now we have provincial regulators too. I, you know, I, I like the idea of, of a kind of a centralized regulator rather than saying simply, oh, well, we'll leave it to the courts. You know, if you have a problem of some kind, right. uh, you've been affected by a breach. Well, you know, you can go to your, your courts, which is great, but uh, maybe not good enough. And I, I think there are real advantages to having a regulator like, uh, but I will mention, you know, you have the FTC in the U.S., and they've got, I think, gone a long way towards fulfilling that kind of role as a big kind of overseer of, of consumer practices and um, especially cons uh, consumer practices that might affect privacy. The FTC has the ability to investigate and issue guidelines and issue uh, very substantial fines. So I I like that kind of model, although I know that there are differences of opinion about whether that's the right way to go. Is it the FTC? Is it some other privacy regulator? Is it no, you know, regulator at all? Like how, what is, what is the oversight model that's best? I would love to see, first of all, I think if we, the lowest of the low hanging fruit is data breach notification. So if we could, uh, unify that on a federal level since we've all agreed uh, all 50 states that it's important and we have re regulations for that if we can harmonize that across the federal government I think I'd be super happy to see that happen um, you know not to say that the FTC isn't doing a good job but I think the FTC I feel like they have their hands full already uh, and I think that it would be nice to have a agency that focuses just on privacy because the FTC doesn't cover all industries either. So I think we're if we're if we're want to talk about privacy as a human right, it should cover all industries in my opinion. So being able to sort of take it out of the FTC, um, kind of maybe elevate it more um, as and take it out of kind of like a consumer thought process into more of a human process because not every human is a consumer. So I think if we can get past that hurdle, I think we'll be 
pretty good. And I like the way that California is doing it. Because as you know, as you see with Canada, you can't just, you know, in one day create like this huge comprehensive framework and just bam, you know. Okay, we have privacy legislation. I mean, we've seen the EU, you know, they have a GDPR, but it took them, you know, 25 years to get there. So that is, you know, a lot of passing maybe smaller laws, maybe passing frameworks that, you know, weren't as stringent and then sort of building on it. So I feel like we have a ways to go in terms of building on, you know, put something down first as a foundation and kind of building on it. And that doesn't happen overnight. So I'm, I would love to see more comprehensive law and I would love to see it not be so reactive in a way. Cause I feel like, you know, a lot of people are looking at courts and judgments and trying to read the tea leaves where, you know, really the court shouldn't be making laws in that way. In my opinion, you know, I think we should say, you know, we need a, we need a framework, we need a strategy. Uh, and I think, even though I wouldn't hold my breath about privacy uh, legislation, I think that it's having an impact based um, because of like the privacy shield and validation is impacting commerce now. So I think when it starts to impact commerce, you know, just like you said, 20 years ago, that's the reason why you all had enacted one of the reasons why you started to enact uh, privacy regulation because of trade issues. So I think that that's going to be a big issue um, around the world. And so I feel like, uh, again, uh, countries that are not thinking about creating those frameworks for privacy will end up swimming upstream because that's just the way the world is going right now. I would love to talk to you about adequacy. People famously always talk about uh, the adequacy that, that people in Canada have uh, from the EU, but I would love to talk about the kind of status of that right now. We had an interesting conversation yesterday about this, and you uh, were illuminating uh, about uh, just updating us on what's happening with adequacy in Canada. Yeah, so right, uh, right now you, you may know that our PIPIDA, again, 20 years old, um, does enjoy adequacy, adequacy status. Uh, with the EU, and they, you know, they do, they have a process. They do a comprehensive, uh, rigorous review of all of the elements of the legislation, um, including, you know, what are the fundamental rules and principles, um, how, and how are they enforced? And those are kind of two equally important aspects. And, um, yeah, as I said, at the moment, we enjoy that adequacy status. But since, <clears throat> since GDPR, excuse me, came, since GDPR came into being, came into law, um, that has put big question marks over our very old legislation. And uh, in my personal opinion, uh, our statute right now would stand very little chance of successfully passing an, uh, the adequacy test. But with this, uh, these new proposed changes, I think we would be in a much stronger position, both in terms of comp uh, comprehensive modern privacy rules and in terms of um, you know, strong oversight and strong uh, penalties and um, you know, remedial powers available to both our privacy commissioner and our courts. So it's a slow process. I haven't heard any updates. I think it's, uh, it's ongoing. 
the review, review is ongoing. It could be another year, it could be another two years before we even know what the, um, what the result of that uh, adequacy review is. And again, one would hope for Canada's sake that we get this, this modernized piece of legislation on the books and uh, we should be in a much uh, better position to say that, look, we're, we are, we're on a par with, we're on a par with Europe and with other countries around the world that have a modern comprehensive privacy laws. Yeah. Well, we, everyone says, well, there's always Canada, you know, you can take the data to Canada or something like that. So if you guys let us over the border, let us out the country. Yeah. <laughs> If it was the world according to David, okay, and any privacy law regulation movement uh, in the world, uh, what would you like to see happen either in Canada or globally related, or even the U.S. about privacy uh, legislation or regulation? Um, I always like to talk about enforcement. It just so happens that's something that's really fascinating for me. How does what kind of framework do you, do you bring in? And do you have, we were talking about this before, do you, do you let the courts kind of uh, handle disputes or do you have um, a regulator or not? You know, where I come from, you know, close to home for me is having an oversight body that um, has a full array of, of powers, statutory powers to investigate, to mediate, to um, have legally enforceable orders. So, you know, there, let's say there's, there's been a big breach. The organization did not have adequate cybersecurity protections in place. Well, well, the regulator should be able to, after an investigation, say, you need to fix this and you need to fix this now. And we're giving you, you know, three months to do A, B, C, D, and E. You know, you, you've got to do it and you've got to do it now. And if you don't comply, you know, you're, you may be subject to, uh, to penalties, to fines. So that's, that's what I'd like to see. And I, I think that's something that, that we should be seeing globally. Uh, you know, Europe pretty much has it. Canada is getting there. U.S. has some aspects of that, but not complete or comprehensive. So to me, what I would like to see is a strong oversight regime with strong investigation and enforcement powers, penalty powers. And I'll, I'll just indicate here that um, in our proposed Canadian bill, there's going to be fines up to 10 million or 3% of global revenue for some offenses or uh, bre breaches of the law. Uh, and in others, 25 million or 5% of global revenue. So these are, these are big, strong, eye-opening <laughs> levels of potential fines, which will, I think, very strongly encourage good behavior. And maybe put to rest this idea that, well, we'd like to have strong privacy protection, but we can't afford it. Right. You know, this, sort of, this attitude that, um, yeah, it's important, but it's not our top priority or not a high right. priority. Well, <laughs> you know, that, that, that needs to change. And, and legislation like this, I think, will move privacy and cybersecurity up the, up the list of priorities for, for all organizations. I think, you know, as much as people hate the five, you know, businesses don't like the fines with, you know, GDPR, these other regulations, you know, that was really the only way to get, make privacy a C-suite issue because, you know, these laws, are, you know, like you said, you guys have had a privacy law for 20 years, you're updating now, uh, 
before the GDPR, the, the EU had the, their data directive. So not that different, actually, from the GDPR. Obviously, the GDPR has some updates, but, you know, the issue was privacy wasn't really taken seriously, I don't think, uh, for some companies. So being able to elevate that conversation um, to a C-suite level and making it uh, something that, you know, countries are saying we're really, really serious about this, uh, I think has elevated it. And I think it's elevated it in a good way. And I think, you know, I've not seen yet any regulators around the world like totally like body slam anybody, in my opinion, uh, about, you know, things that they're doing. It's really what you want is compliance. So you want the companies to know that it's important to be proactive. You want them to obviously follow the regulations, but you know a lot of that following of the regulation is about planning beforehand and uh, having a story that you can tell if you ever get into hot water uh, about how you handle your data, how you handle your customers' data, as opposed to it being like a reaction. Uh, so it's like, oh my God, this terrible thing happened. Let's go to court. You know, I'll throw you a bucket of money, and then I'll go back to doing what I was doing before. So I think. For me, it can't just be fines. It has to be changing of behavior and it has to be changing of the way businesses think about the importance of the individual and their data. What are your thoughts? Agreed. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's um, Fines are not the be-all and the end-all. Um, that's not the goal. The goal is is changing behavior, but arguably, you know, increasing having increased fines or bringing in fines is one method of, of, uh, of changing behavior and, and um, making privacy a priority. It's that, you know, walk softly and carry a big stick. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that can change behavior. But, but I agree with you that in many cases, um, you know, there, there's no bad faith or ill will. Um, organizations just don't think about it. And they, they may feel that, well, let's just hope that we don't get hit by an attack, uh, you know. Right. And they, they, and they truly feel they can't afford to bring in, you know, the most expensive cybersecurity experts and that'll cost a lot of money, all of that. But when you, when you bring in the fines, um, then that kind of changes the calculation, but you're, you're right at the end of the day, what the goal is changing behavior. And there are a number of ways to do that. And, and again, the, the, the big stick is only one way to do that. I think there are other methods available to regulators in terms of a lot of it is, is really about education. Right. You know, taking positive steps to protect privacy isn't necessarily more expensive. Right. It's not. It just takes more proactive thinking about it and planning and yeah. not doing bad things. So it's not, you know, it's not a, to me, it's not a super high bar. Right. It is a bar. It is a, it is a bar, uh, probably higher than most people have. But one of the reasons why I want to talk to you, besides the fact that you're brilliant, is that I feel like people who work in government, you understand the problems more deeply because everybody is your customer, right? So it's not like a business where they say, oh, well, this segment of the population is my customer, where every, you know, you have to come up with a plan that works or for everybody. So I think because that, that makes it, that's a harder problem to solve than to, you know, oh, this is my customer. I have my 
blinders on and I can only look at this segment of people where you're saying this is a problem for all people. We need to make it fair in a way that it uh, doesn't encumber anyone, um, you know, in your country from being able to exercise their privacy rights. Yeah, that's interesting. I really thought very much about that, but you're right that we do have kind of this really high level view and we see different populations. Some of the, you know, the people that are protected by our legislation are some of the you know the most vulnerable people people who, who don't have much means are unsophisticated uh, children students moving over to um, patients in the healthcare setting because we have specific health privacy legislation to very very small organizations like a tiny little you know township of a uh, hundred a hundred people or a village uh, you know with with one person that runs their so-called government to very large organizations like, uh, you know, City of Toronto, like Chicago, we have, I don't know, three, four million people. It's a gigantic organization. We have, uh, and, you know, big government organizations. We have uh, in Canada, something called Crown Corporations, which are kind of a hybrid between public, like publicly owned corporations that operate in the private sector. For example, uh, they own casinos, they own our, our liquor uh, retailer, these kinds of things. So yeah, we do. <laughs> we really see kind of all aspects aspects of society and how privacy laws impact them and how privacy concerns or breaches impact them. So yeah, I guess we're fortunate in a way and I and I guess that can be difficult for others who are in a much sort of narrower field and narrower sector. Yeah, you're right. They they worry about their own their own environment, their own situation. They don't think in a big way um, as we often do. But um, on the other hand, you know, we, we're always learning, right? We always, we don't necessarily know what's going on in a highly specific kind of uh, environment. So that's the challenge is you have to, you kind of have to learn and, and get a better understanding of every different kind of situation and different kinds of people with different kinds of, of needs and, um, and problems. Correct. Excellent. That's that's amazing. I'm glad to, that we had this talk today. So we're at the end of our time, and I want to thank you so much. Uh, you know, you jumped through some hoops to get this uh, interview with me or that we can do this together, and I'm really happy to do it, and I'm happy to share kind of your voice and what you're doing because uh, I think it's really fascinating. I think I'm hoping that we can learn a lot uh, from what you guys are doing in Canada and maybe implement some of the things that we talked about. So that'd be great. Well, thank you, Debbie. This was really fun, and thanks for inviting me. And uh, I hope we can learn a lot as well about what what happens in the U.S. We're going to be uh, looking closely. Yeah, maybe we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk like later in 2021 and see what happens. <laughs> That'd be great. Love to uh, reconnect and see what's changed. Yeah, that, be a would, lot. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Well, thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Debbie. Cheers.